We are going to continue our series in the book of Job. I know that we may have some guests with us, and we just appreciate you being here. Um, we are not going to be able to review you up to this point, but uh, we are going to do a little bit of review as we consider um, uh, now Job's response to Eliphaz, and, and I'm calling this the heaviness of poor counsel. Um, so a bright, shiny message this morning, right? But, but uh, it, it's important for us to see some of the things that are going to be in this passage. But if you will just turn to Job chapter 6 and keep your finger there, we're going to get there in just a few moments, and we're going to be in that passage uh, for the remainder of, of the hour, besides just a, a few cross-references we'll have on the screen, so you can kind of have your finger there. But as we consider uh, just kind of where we've been two weeks ago, we heard a response from Job's friend Eliphaz. And the three friends had a belief system that was common at the time. Um, frankly, that belief system is quite common today, and we're going to talk more about that uh, in the future. But there are two verses that were key, and I'm actually looking at the, the second verse first for a reason, because uh, it's not quite as detailed, but it says in Job 5.27, Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. So as, as Eliphaz was emphasizing this, this belief that they had in who God was and what he did, he's saying, it's true. We've studied this. This is beyond question. So let's, let's get in line, Job. That's, that's pretty much what they were saying to him. Well, what is their philosophy? What was their view of who God is? Um, not in total are we going to get here, but what they said was in Job 4, 7 through 9, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. But the blast of God, by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. So as we kind of concluded here, it's good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that's it. So if bad things are happening to you, guess what? You're bad. That's, that's the idea here. We also saw how Eliphaz led his friends in trying to comfort Job. Eliphaz got some things right. We're going to be very brief about this, but he began with really some gentleness and patience on his part. And, and he said some encouraging words to Job. He reminded Job of how he had helped others. Uh, he gave Job, Job a reason for his hope, a reason to hope. He, he talked about uh, the, the Lord in this, and he reminded Job of God's character. And as we kind of looked at this, we concluded together this is really a good way to counsel somebody, right? You're patient, you're gentle, you're kind, you're encouraging. You give them a reason to hope. You give them something to hang on to, and you remind them of who God is. Boy, that's, that's pretty good. The problem was there was another shoe that dropped, and Eliphaz then couldn't help himself but get into now comparing Job's life with what he believed God was trying to do. And so he really didn't have much consideration for Job and his circumstances. He charged Job with being inconsistent, right? 
When you say this, but now this is happening, and now you're saying this? He relied on mysticism. Remember, he had this vision, this dream, that he was trying to say, okay, this is what I think, and oh, by the way, I had a dream about it. Which is number four there. And he became very harsh. And I believe that if we were to really summarize what he did, he gave the wrong advice to the wrong person in the wrong situation. I'm not sure how much more wronger <laughs> you can get, right? So that's where we left Eliphaz. So today we're going to see how Job answers his friend back. Job, Job's response is in the plural. So he's actually speaking to all of them. And we know that there was at least some little bit of reference to the fact that this was something that they believed. Remember, they're now sitting around after seven days of silence, seven days of, of respecting and understanding that Job is of extreme heaviness of heart because of what he has dealt with and is continuing to deal with. Job breaks the silence, then Eliphaz responds to him first. And as all this is going on, they're all together. So the other two friends are there. As a matter of fact, there's a fourth friend that we find comes later, but he's not mentioned right now. But they're all together. They're all listening to what's going on here. Okay? So they're all aware. So we begin then with Job's plea for understanding. I want to read for you uh, this passage as we will kind of go down through here. Um, this is where Job is basically saying, hey, you know, can, can you just take a step back here for a minute, right? And let's start in verse 1, Job chapter 6, verse 1. And then Job answered and said, so he's answering Eliphaz, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with, with it in the balances. For, when it would be he, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison and the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or does the ox low over its fodder, over its food? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch it. They are loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Just to be clear, folks, he's saying, I wish I were dead. Then I would still have a comfort, though in anguish I would exult. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the word of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? What is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me, and is success driven from me? So now let's work through this. In verses 2 and 3, we see here, he says, oh, that my grief were fully weighed, right? And he says that his grief is heavier than the sand of the sea. Job begins his, first, his response to Eliphaz by first wishing that he could somehow make his emotional and spiritual suffering something that could be physically measured. Many of us have needed to convert one thing to another, right? Maybe uh, you have done a recipe, you got it off the internet, and 
you wanted to try it, but it was in metric. So you had to convert it over to cups and all those other kinds of things, right? If you've been to a foreign country, you have to have your dollars converted into that country's currency. Now, they always take a little bit from you in the process, but it, it's, it's supposed to be dollar for dollar, right, or dollar for currency. Now, try to imagine converting your emotions into something that can be seen or touched. That's what Job is saying he wish he could do. Job begins by expressing to his friends how badly he is hurting. So Job says, if you were to try to weigh the burden on my heart, you would need to pull all of the sand on every beach together and then try to weigh it out. I'm being crushed by the weight of my despair. Of course, we know that he's using what's called hyperbole. That's exaggerated language to make a point. He's not going to be able to gather all the sand together. But the comparison does make its point, doesn't it? If we would take some of our worst times and say, okay, now put that on a scale, right? What would it look like? Then we move into Job chapter um, Job, Job 4, chapter 6, verse 4, and it says, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. As we think about this, um, what Job is doing here is he's expressing from his perspective the real reason for his grief. And he's also expressing that his grief is unbearable. I want to give us, I've, I've talked to you before about a, a man named Christopher Ash. He's, he's uh, one of the um, uh, commentators that I uh, appreciate in, in my study. And, and I want to read a quote that he, that he said here. And this is as if he's talking from Job's perspective. The cause of my pain is not because I have lost my wealth, nor is it because my greatness and my power have come to an end. It is not even because I have been terribly bereaved of my children. Not to say that there isn't grief there, right? But he's talking about the cause of his pain. What does he say? It is because the Almighty God who controls everything that happens in the universe has been firing poison darts at me. The pain I experience is the burning sensation of poison from these darts getting into the bloodstream of my heart and soul. This is why it hurts so deeply. The terrors that are mentioned there carries the meaning of a dreadful assault. Dreadful assaults. So Job believed that God is attacking him and that he's attacking him out of anger and judgment. What else does Job have to go on? All these awful things happen to him and he's not been told why. Then Job makes a couple of comparisons in our context that communicate why he has good reason to grieve as he does. He asked, do, do work animals make... Um, complaining noises when they have food? And the answer is no. And the second is, does bland food need seasoning? Yes. Uh, plain egg whites, not my favorite food, right? And he was like, uh, that just disgusts me. So Job is saying that he isn't grieving without cause. He's not grieving without cause. 
He's speaking here as if he's experiencing a fresh wave of grief and despair. Probably because of the conversation that Eliphaz just had with him, right? And he wished that what he wants would come true. That he would just simply die. That God would let him go. So what I want to do is I wanted to kind of tap the pause button here. And take notice of what I consider to be a priceless jewel in what seems to be the hopelessness of Job's miserable state. I mean, no one's going to argue. This man is in rough shape here. But look at what verse 10 tells us. But it is, and, and I'm going to give this from the New American Standard. It gives us a little bit clearer view of this. But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Is that not an incredibly powerful statement? I mean, think about this. He is just wrecked. <laughs> he feels attacked by God. And we get this idea that he's been hit with these poison darts and he can just feel that, that painfulness just coursing through his soul from those things. And yet he says, I've kept his word. I've done what he's asked me to do. In all of his terrible circumstances, he still professes the Lord. So just because, I'm going to pause for a minute here again and just ask, if your life was just thrown into a blender and turned on high and was still whirring and whirring and whirring around, what would your response be? Job's desire is that God would grant him death while he is still continuing to praise him. Now, I'm sure we have all had compassion on Job as we've worked through this study, but Job's next words really drive this home to me personally and very likely to you. He says in Job 6 verses 11 through 13 what strength do i have that i should hope what is my end that i should prolong my life is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh bronze is my help within me and is success driven from me not driven from me and this success driven from me sorry job is telling his friends my strength is gone i don't have anything left in the tank i am completely spent now, I don't know about you, but I would have been completely spent much sooner than this. But that's where he's at. And so using questions, Job basically says that he's not made of stone or metal. In our day, Job is really kind of asking his friends, am I Superman? Right? Am I the man of steel? That's really what he's asking. He answers his own questions by saying, I have nothing left in me to help myself. And any power that I had to do something for myself, for myself is just gone. It's, it's completely left me. And here's the thing. Job fears that in his devastated condition of both body and soul, that he may not be able to continue to hang on to his integrity. He's concerned 
that what he's been able to do up to this point in keeping God's word, he might fail. He, he might just fall under what he's dealing with. Now, we're almost through this particular chapter, but we still have one more section to go. And it switches over to where rather than just pleading for understanding, he gets frustrated. He expresses some frustration with his, with his friends. Verse 16 tells us this, To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. So Job states what should be pretty obvious. You can get the feeling that, but you can get the feeling that what he spoke was almost a plea, right? He was, he was almost asking. Friend, friends should be kind to the afflicted, to those who are carrying heavy burdens, to those who have been struck with something. And this word kindness here has that, has the, uh, it is the word has said, and we have talked about this before, and, and it, this, is a, this is a loving kindness. This is, this is more than just doing something nice for somebody. There's, there's, there's some loyalty here. There's some commitment here. There is, there is an investment that is made by one person to another out of love. And then we see that the root word for afflicted here means to melt or dissolve. That's, that's what Job's describing, right? I'm, I'm just... I'm just wasting away. I'm becoming nothing. So Job is describing himself and saying that his friends should be there for him as he is at the point of giving way, of falling, collapsing under what's happening to him, even to the point where he might lose his trust in God. Wow. What follows is Job gives a scenario, if you kind of follow down through uh, Job chapter 6, he gives a scenario where um, th that basically these men would know very well. He describes that there is a, a water source that is dried up. And those who would travel back and forth in the desert, those that would take that route, trading um, different goods and things like that, when they got thirsty, and at this point he's talking about thirsty to desperation, they would pull off and say, hey, I remember this spot where we can get water. So when they go to get water, it's dry. And what Job is telling them, and it's, let, me, let me just say this, it's, it's kind of like when we're driving along, and I don't know who does this, but you know how some people, um, they, they want to have their tank as empty as possible so they can get the most out of their Kroger points, right? I don't know anybody like that. But it's good stewardship. But anyway, you know, you, you, you travel along and you, you, you want to, you know, you don't want to stop as often and you want to go as far as you can. And so you know exactly how many miles to the next exit, et cetera, right? And, and you know, that's, that's the idea here. Like, I need gas. I need fuel. So we pull off to this gas station, and the lights are all on and everything, and you drive up, and you're like, what's going on? And they say, oh, our pumps don't work. <laughs> we got candy bars. We got coffee. We got lottery tickets, but our 
our pumps don't work. Right? That's, that's the feeling here. Job is saying, you came to me and it was like me pulling off the highway, pulling up to the pump, and getting nothing out of it. Wow. And this is what he says in Job 6.21. For now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. This, this is wild stuff. It's only two lines. But check this out. The first line he's basically saying, your advice is worthless. <laughs> right? Job is directly comparing their counsel to finding this dry watering hole with the high hopes of getting some relief and there isn't any there. No relief for him. Even though, what did they say their purpose was? We need to go and comfort Job, right? Remember that? We need to go and comfort Job. That's why we're taking this trip together. No. He desperately needs loving words, but he's received the opposite. For now, you are nothing, right? But look at what Proverbs tells us. We've got a couple of verses here. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now look at what 15.23 says. How delightful is a timely word. Right. We, we know what he's talking about, right? When, when we're trying to work something out and we don't know which way is up, and someone says, well, hey, have, have you looked at it this way? Oh, wow, thank you. Man, that is timely advice, appropriate advice, counsel from a trusted friend is just amazing to us. But then in the second line, he says, you see terror and are afraid. I'm going to kind of give you a little paraphrase to this based upon my study. You have witnessed my disaster, the terror that I'm experiencing, and it has brought great fear upon you. Job is telling his friends, you have seen what's happened to me, and it's frightened you. Why would they be afraid? Because if Job is right, everything that their beliefs rest on would be like an earthquake hit it. There'd be nothing left. Everything that they would trust in would crumble. And by the way, it should. Because life and God and how he operates is not good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Folks, I wasn't there. I, I, I didn't see the body language. I didn't hear the tone of voice that was given and what we're going to talk about next. But I'm going to assume that, that Job is at least somewhat sincere in what he's saying. And this isn't just sarcasm, right? But he, he tells them, explain to me my error. T tell me where I'm wrong, right? This section begins with, Job asking a series of rhetorical questions that all point to the same answer. And really the summary is, have I ever asked you to do anything for me? Now let me read that for you. We're still in 6, verse 22. It says, did I ever bring something, did I ever say bring something to me or offer a bribe for me for your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of oppressors? This all has to do with 
doing something on his behalf to get him out of some type of trouble, right? Then he says, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are right words, but what does your arguing prove? So again, Job starts off by saying, have I ever asked you to do anything for me? No. See, this, is, this goes against, in comparison, to what he expected from them now that he's in great trouble, right? And they're coming to help him. Then verses 24 and 26 say this, and I already read part of it. Teach me that I will hold my tongue, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred, how forceful are right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? So he just flat out says, point out my error. Correct communication has power to do this, but all Eliphaz argues, all of his arguments prove to be nothing. They, they don't, everything that Eliphaz said did not do anything for Job. And Job believes that Eliphaz only wants to criticize and prove him wrong. And by the way, Eliphaz has a reason to do that now, doesn't he? That's been revealed. Job can't be right. If Job's right, man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Job took it a step further by challenging Eliphaz to acknowledge and declare Job's innocence and righteousness in this passage. So let's pause and think about where we're at here. Most of us have been attacked by someone with wrong motives, right? But think about this. What about a well-intentioned person giving us wrong words? Are they really that much different? In other words, someone's coming after us and they have every reason to just, you know, they're, they're, they're our true enemy, right? But then we have someone that comes up to us and says, hey, I'm your friend. I want to help you. And yet, what they're telling us, it's not right. <laughs> is there really an appreciable difference? I don't believe there is. We transition here, and we're going to be, we're at a point here where Job is actually going to take his attention off of man and turn it to God. But we're kind of in this middle range point here where Job basically says life is hard, and life is short. He's, he's going he's gonna to take some time to, to just say some things from his heart. So I want us to look at uh, Job chapter 7 now. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. Job described how he sees life, particularly his own, 
with three people, with three characters. Hard service that you see there in the beginning of this passage in the New King James describes the life of a soldier. That's, that's really what it's saying. Those who are in the service, right? That, that's, that's difficult. He then talks about the hired man who's looking forward to what? To the end of the day when he gets paid. And then he talks about the servant who, who doesn't get paid. But what does the servant look forward to? Just sitting in the shade, taking a break, getting some rest. So Job is saying, life is hard. I'm waiting for relief. I need it. Just like these folks, I just want to be done. And in verse 3, he says this, So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. This is an important verse because Job gives us a time frame of what's been going on in his life. He confirms that his ordeal has lasted for months. Months he has suffered. He suffered loss of all things, and he has suffered this horrible health, um, uh, this disease that was Satan-inspired that he was afflicted with. He then goes on to describe the weariness he is experiencing because of his physical affliction. And again, we've covered that already in our past studies, so we're not going to be covering that as much today. Um, But if we look at Job chapter 7, verse 6, I want to read just those few verses there, verses 6 through 10. It says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. I will remember that my life is a breath. You see, see the... The, the slight change there. He's he's been talking, he's been talking, and it's almost like we're in a parenthetical time here where he's he's not talking to anyone in particular, but he's just talking. And then we see this shift, which really takes place in verse seven, where he he shifts over really to the Lord. Well, remember that my life is a breath, my eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall be no longer. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so is he who goes down to the grave, does not come up again. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. I'm not much into, I don't know, weaving. But I kind of thought, well, what does that mean? What is swifter than a weaver's shuttle? I actually have what I'm hoping you can see as a short video here. If it's successful, and it's going to show you. By the way, it goes fast because that's the point. Okay? But this is how a weaver's shuttle operates. Do it. Oh, oh, oh. I had it. Yeah, I'm trying it again. Back and forth. Back and forth. Boom, boom. Done. Right? Just putting that next line of, of um, whatever material is in there to make your blanket, to make your shirt, to make whatever. Okay? He's saying that's how fast life goes. Wow. As we consider the brevity of life, right? As we think about what that means, um, he laments that at how life, how fast life goes by. 
Job also compares life as a single breath and a small cloud that fades away in the sky. You, you've probably seen that, right? On a warm summer day, you're looking up in the clouds and you see one little one and it's kind of floating by and all of a sudden it just gets smaller and smaller and then it's just, just gone. we got to have a little time to do that, I understand, but it, it happens. Job adds that when we die, we are gone and we're eventually forgotten and that's the truth. There's a certain point where no one knows us anymore. Again, bright thoughts, right? But we're getting there. <laughs> we see that Job's full of cheery thoughts, right? <laughs> but it's important for us to keep in mind that Job is right. Especially, if I can say, all of us need to hear this, but especially our younger folks. Because I remember when I was uh, much, much, much younger. And I remember thinking to myself, oh man. There was a time when I'm thinking to myself, is the year 2000 ever really going to come? Uh, that happened to be 23 years ago, because <laughs> it did come, right? So I'm way off as far as when I thought the Lord would come back or whatever. <laughs> but, but let me just share a couple things with you. Psalm 39, 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths. Okay? Handbreadth. That's it. That's it. You have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. A vapor. Just, just that little wisp. We're getting into the season, right? Hot chocolate season. You know what a vapor is? It's that little something that comes out of the hot chocolate and is gone. Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. But Psalm 92, 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. See, it's not all just futility. If we understand that we're not going to be around forever, Life is short, and we don't know what's going to happen because we are frail beings. It should give us an injection of wisdom to say, okay, what is my life going to be about? First and foremost, am I going to respond to faith in Christ and what he's done for me? Am I going to live for him? So we see here that Job transitioned from speaking to Eliphaz to speaking to God in about verse 7. But we're going to kind of continue with this, and it's, it's even more direct, where Job speaks to the Lord beginning, uh, not beginning, but continuing in verse 11. Let me, let me read that to you, uh, verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. Uh, we'll get to that. That's not the same as what Eliphaz was doing. We'll get to that. So that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. 
What is man that you should magnify him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? Remember those arrows. So that I am a burden to myself. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. We're simply going to work through some of these verses in keeping with our approach that we've talked about before. We can't look at everything. There's some picture language here, but we're going to try to stay focused on this. He is in anguish and bitterness of soul. I mean, again, we've seen this over and over. He describes in verse 13 trying to have some comfort in sleep, but he describes having these terrible dreams. And it's possible that his condition, remember, it wasn't just skin. He had a fever that he said just lit up his bones, right? He is in constant pain. So it could have been part of this condition. Um, as a matter of fact, there are physicians that say that it was this condition that caused nightmares. And then even the choking that he talks about, that idea of strangling, is one of the side effects of one of the, one of the symptoms of this illness. So he asked God, why do you even care about man? Why do you pay any attention to me? In other words, why do I matter to you? And again, Job says, I would rather die. I would rather die than continue. Then Job ends with really a curveball. <laughs> Sorry, I already got there. Job 7, verses 20 to 21. We already read that. He asked the Lord if he has sinned against him. Keep in mind, Job has fended off verbal attacks from his friends up to this point, right? He has firmly stated that he is innocent. He firmly said that to Eliphaz. Is it possible that what his friends said were saying to Job was starting to get to him? Job does not admit any sin that he could be charged with because he can't think of something, he can't bring up something that he has actually committed. But he's still asking God about the idea of it. And he ends by indicating that he doesn't expect to live much longer. That's where Job's at. I'm checking out. I'm done. I, I can't go on anymore. I don't know how I can continue to be breathing based upon what I'm experiencing. So what do we take away from this? In chapter 3, Job broke the silence with his friends and shared with them his grief from the very depths of his heart. And then Eliphaz responds to him. And as, he, as we said in our review, Eliphaz got some things right, but he also said some very awful things to Job. Today we can learn from the perspective of the recipient. From Job's point of view, Eliphaz was simply saying empty words. They did not comfort him. They did not provide any insight to him. They gave him nothing. And his words also hurt 
Job deeply. So I think that one of the things that we can take away from this is that we've got to be very careful how we approach people. The harder the condition that they're in, the more care we need to take, right? Because Job's saying, I'm just hanging on a thread here. And this comforting friend comes along and says, man, you're in bad shape. You know why? Because you're an awful sinner. <laughs> we got to get to the bottom of this, boy. Oh. Stop, I can't take any more of your compassion. Right? That's where he's at. There are some things that we can also take away from Job's response. He shared uh, more of the actual depth of his grief with us. Even though chapter 3 is, is, is gut-wrenching, he says even more now. Have you ever faced something that just completely wore you down? I mean, it, it, just, it just wore you out. You had nothing left in the tank. Now, I do need to remind us we need to continue to maintain a line between the consequences of sin and the testing that God brings. They don't have the same purpose. And so if we have done something and we're, you know, basically getting hit with the consequences of it and we turn around and say, oh, what a terrible struggle I'm going through. Oh, I must be being tested. Oh, I'm suffering for doing what is right. No, no, you're not. You're being spanked. That's designed to get you back where you need to be. Testing, even what we might call brutal testing like Job is going through, is actually to refine us into the person that we're supposed to be. And so the perspective is different, and we need to keep that in mind. We also need to keep in mind not to compare ourselves to Job. It's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to show actually how God works in someone's life, but how you can be righteous, right? And that, that's, that's part of the purpose of the book. But what we go through is not like, well, you know, uh, I don't match up to Job, so pfft. No. He uses extremes for purposes that we're going to continue to see. But one of those was obviously to bring glory to him. And what God does in and through us in our times of testing is designed to do the same thing, to glorify him. So don't make comparisons to Job, but don't make comparisons to other people. In a very genuine way, we can probably all relate to Job, right? To one degree or another. And I want to remind us of what we studied before in 1 Peter 1. Verse 6 or 9 say this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now let's stop there for a second and let's remind ourselves, we saw the same thing in Romans in our scripture reading today. That, that we're going to go through trials. We're going to be tested. And Romans 8.28, which we like to quote, right? All things work together. All things work together for good. Did you see the context there? <laughs> the context is testing. 
the context is God making us who he wants us to be in Christ. Okay, so now we go on. If need be, you have been grieved for, by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, okay, even, even gold is one day you're going to see the fire. It's going to be gone. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, set the salvation of your souls. Right. Say, wait a minute. The end of my faith, the salvation of my I have faith now. I'm saved. We're talking about the completion of it. Amen. We're talking about when this world is gone, when all of the cares are, are done, when actually God's process in making us like Jesus is complete. But up to that point, what takes place? We're going to have trials. We're going to have testing that comes into our life for these purposes. Job felt stretched, going to the next point, almost to the breaking point. He has legitimately, legitimately expresses concern that he would fail. Can you relate to that? This is a good time to remind ourselves of the misconception of a familiar saying. I'm sure you've heard it. God will never give you what you cannot handle. Folks, that's not true. That's not true. There are times when God purposefully gives you exactly what you can't handle. But he does have a purpose, and it goes back again. To Romans. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. Then one other thing, Job remained faithful to God even in his despondency. We saw that in Job 6.10. But it, it is still my consolation. I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Job could only control how he responded to his horrific circumstances. Everything else was completely out of his control. You ever been there? You ever experienced that where it's like, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know how to think. I am just paralyzed in this situation. I'm spent. I, I, I have nothing left in myself. One thing that we can do is we can obey. One thing we can do is place our faith in the God who says he loves us and demonstrates he loves us, loves us and ultimately demonstrated that love by giving Christ to, to us and for us. Amen. So Job chose to live according to God's standard for his glory regardless of the circumstances. Rough passage, folks. Um, I will tell you, we have a, a couple more of these, but we see some nuggets in here, some important things that we need to draw from this, not only for how we might minister to other people, but also how we're to respond in times of testing. And as the scriptures told us there, and as we have looked at several times, we will be tested. All right? So, 
look, our, our time is just about over here, but let me just say this. Whether it be academics or whether it be sports or, or you learning a skill or any number of things, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested to determine where you at, right? Are you where you are supposed to be? And I don't know about you, but most of the testing that I took, it wore me out. Math was overwhelming, okay? Job, right? I just want to die. I mean, it's, that's where I was in a game of math, you know what I mean? It's just take, take my life now. It's not worth that. Pythagoras something. Anyway. So anyway, all I'm trying to say here is this, is that as we are living our life out, as we are going through these struggles, we need to understand that it's part of the calling of God. Even if we are worn out and everything else, we have that one extremely important choice to make. Am I going to obey? Am I going to trust God with what he is doing, with how he is working? And we can't forget that part of it, no matter how big or small your world is, part of it is there is a world that is looking on. Right? There's a world that's looking on. What kind of a testimony are we going to give about our faith and about who God is? Okay? So whether we're helping other people out or whether we're determining how we can get through these situations, we have some important things to learn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, one of the New Testament writers even talked about the, the, the patience, the endurance of Job. It's a unique story. May we again just understand that there's a purpose in it for us. It's difficult, but you even tell us that when we are experiencing times of testing, that we need to be thankful. We often have more revealed to us, whether it be what is written or whether it be the knowledge of what's happening around us, than Job had. He had nothing to go on. He lost everything and did not know why. So, Lord, I thank you for your revealed word to us. I thank you for your spirit that resides in us if we're followers of yours. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be faithful followers. And, Lord, sometimes I say, regardless of the circumstances, but now I just want to pray, and I, and I pray, Lord, that I'm, that I'm simply leading as we all say to you within the circumstances that we are faithful within whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Because we want to bring you the glory. In Christ's name, amen.